Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. You are actually listening to the debut of our brand new series, The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers Radio. We are live Thursday, January 26, 2017. So happy to be here. And let's see what the buzz on the street is before I introduce our three panelists. The buzz comes from a Dr. Herbert Simon, who said this in 1965. He was an American political scientist, economist, sociologist, psychologist, computer scientist. You may not recognize the name until I tell you he was among the pioneers of some of our most important scientific domains, including artificial intelligence. The buzz is always AI information processing, decision-making, problem-solving, and all kinds of good things, including computer simulation of scientific discovery. Big guy on the on campus, as they say. Here's the buzz from Dr. Simon. Machines will be capable in 20 years of doing any work a man can do. Now, remember, he said this in 1965, so we're projecting up to 1985. So what's this got to do with manufacturing? The manufacturing world today is seeing innovation-driven trends and challenges across IMNC sector, that's industrial machinery and components. Leading edge companies already know this and they are transforming their operations. So what is this leading edge all about? What will have to happen? Well, the future will be defined in manufacturing and IMNC by how quickly industry leaders can address things that are here, they're on the frontier, but they're already happening. How about 3D printing? It's been around for several years, but it's still leading edge. How about AI, as I mentioned, artificial intelligence, Everybody's talking about it. Have you heard of digital twins? That's also on the landscape here. And something called hyper automation. We will talk about that as well. So let me tell you who my three esteemed panelists are, and then we will hear from them. We'll get their opening quotes as we do on all of our Game Changers shows. First up, we're welcoming back a gentleman who has been on many Game Changers shows over the years. It's Jeff Hoylow. He leads IDC Manufacturing Insights Research and Analysis of the PMLM Market. Joining him on the panel is Marcus L. Rossman, Head of Operations and PMO Digital Manufacturing TLI at Capgemini. And rounding out the panel is Gary Nelson at SAP. And Gary, I'm looking for your title. Gary, tell me your title. Well, I'm the North American Industry Lead for Industrial Machinery and Components at SAP. Thank you. There's a live voice for you. Couldn't find that. So let's circle back. Nice to hear your voice, Gary. Jeff Hoylow is going to first be first up. Jeff sent us a quote very appropriately from Thomas A. Edison, Thomas Alva Edison, 1847 to 1931, American inventor and businessman described as America's greatest inventor. Did you know that he developed the phonograph? Uh, we used to call it the record player, the motion picture camera. Now it's on a cell phone and the long-lasting practical electric light bulb. Here's the quote. The difficulty is not so much in developing new ideas as in escaping from old ones. Jeff Hoylow, welcome back, and again, Happy New Year. You were on a couple of weeks ago. How have you been? I've been really good, Bonnie. How are you? 
I'm fine. Thank you. So happy to have you here on the debut of our new series. Can you believe we actually have a series just about the future of manufacturing, Jeff? It's exciting, right? You know, um, well, at IDC, we focus on the future of manufacturing every day, so I was excited to see that and happy to be a part of this. Um, we are thrilled. So, Talk yeah. to me about the quote. I, I think yeah. it's very appropriate that you picked Edison because he certainly was on the frontier of the future of so many things in his day. So this quote, how does this relate to IMNC? Sure. Well, I think, you know, the underlying themes in the quote are of change, uh, always improving, um, and then fighting against the, stat- the urge to accept status quo or, or good enough. And, you know, if, if you think about your reflection of your personal life. This is a reflection of how I live my life and that I'm always trying to improve, whether professionally or personally, whether uh, that uh, is, uh, you know, be better, a better father or improve the sports I enjoy or anything else, you know, uh, so it's, it's constantly in a moving past the status quo and, and improving your life. It's relevant to today's topic, I think, in that there's a tremendous uh, evolution, some might say revolution, uh, mm-hmm. in manufacturing, and particularly in uh, industrial machinery and, and components is, is one of those industries being uh, affected greatly uh, with new technologies and also new business models. Um, uh, the hardest thing for a company to address with uh, this scenario of brand new technologies and, and new ways of working, right? Uh, maybe, you know, getting people uh, in industrial machinery space a little bit outside of their, you know, their comfort zone of, uh, you know, where they're comfortable with working and maybe extending out to more broadly the organization and also using and learning and using these new technologies. You know, the hardest thing for a company, I think, to address with this scenario is inertia, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's escaping from the old ideas and processes so that the company can take advantage of the technological advancement that's upon us. Thank you very much. Inertia, I think that's the, uh, that's the enemy of innovation, enemy of future, enemy of forward, isn't it, Jeff? Really? Across the board? Inertia. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, there's, that's, that's always uh, a challenge, um, whether you're, you're selling a, you know, a small software package or you know, a, th- a third platform technology, as we call it, or innovation accelerators such as you know, uh, uh, cognitive or IoT or any advanced technology. Um, it's absolutely, you know, the first reaction is, well, I kind of like the way um, my, my current way of working is going now. You know, why do I need to change? So absolutely. Thank you very much. Great to have you here, and we are excited about this new series. I have to do a shout-out to Dave Parrish at SAP, who is somewhere on vacation. He'll be back next week, and he is the the brainchild, I should say, behind this series working with uh, Stefan Gerskin and Thomas Pohl at SAP. We're going to have a very broad brush of topics on this series. So, Jeff, glad you're on board. Now let's welcome a newcomer to Game Changers. He is Marcus L. Rossman, Head of Operations and PMO Digital Marketing, Digital Manufacturing, TLI. You have to Explain all this to me at Cap Gemini. And Marcus has sent us a quote from somebody commonly referred to as Andy Grove. Let me give you a little background. Andrew Stephen Andy Grove, 1936 to, oh, he just passed this March 2016, was a Hungarian born American businessman, engineer, author, and science pioneer in the semiconductor industry. Anybody ra- ringing a bell on that one? He was one of the founders and CEO of Intel Corporation, helping to transform the company into the 
the world's largest semiconductor manufacturer. Time magazine called Andy Grove Man of the Year in 1997 for being the person most responsible for the amazing growth in the power and innovative potential of microchips. Woohoo! And here is the quote Marcus has sent me, which is the title, I believe, of a book that Andy wrote, and it's simply only the paranoid survive. Marcus Rossman, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Yeah, actually, and so the connection may be a little bit better, even though we are in a global environment, actually, and um, I'm calling in from from, uh, Stuttgart area, so in Germany down there. Um, So why I picked that um, quote um, (laughs) goes back a little bit um, into the time, because um, my my personal background is actually um, electrical engineering with a PhD in that one. And my professor at that time, um, somewhere in, in the 90s, he was... He was um, picking that statement from Andy because he was having some discussions with him um, only latest, uh, lately in, in that regard. And um, it was really impressive at that time yeah, because um, paranoia is something that goes into two directions. Yeah? It can be pretty, pretty like, an, uh, like a sickness on the one hand side for sure, yeah? but um, it, it's sort of a statement in the sense of looking into... Yeah, and, uh, into um, com- complacency on the one hand side, yeah, this is one se- uh, thing um, driven by success. Yeah, that is also part of his book actually that he that he wrote. Yeah, and 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 that drives actually then afterwards failure. Yeah, because you you are pretty pretty. Um, yeah, um, just said that also. Yeah, like like um, the inertia. It is something that holds you actually back. And so these days, with all those new technologies that we have and that we are um, that we are seeing out there. Um, we are enabled actually to do a lot of things differently these days, and um, those people who are doing this and thinking of that and have these kind of dreams or visions, uh, we call it, um, they see opportunities actually to drive things totally in different ways um, compared to, to the status quo. And that is uh, something where those people really who are in business today really need to be um, careful about that, about them, themselves. Um, that is mm-hmm. one thing. Um, lots of our clients are thinking into this direction. They are thinking in terms of, oh, what do we need to do? Um, what, um, which direction do we need to take? And that is really the, the case these days. Thank you, Marcus. Very well put. Appreciate that. Yes, uh, when you think of paranoid, it usually sounds like people who are, are mentally uh, unsettled and they're always afraid somebody's going to catch them and do something. But in this case, it can be healthy paranoia. What is the industry doing? What is, where's the future coming at us? From what direction can we be part of that? How do we articulate the need to keep moving forward? And inertia, I think, is our, our verboten word on the show today because we don't want, if you're paranoid, you're saying, ah, well, we did it this way for five years, we could wait another two years, AI, who needs it, digital twins, digital schmins, and you can't do that anymore. You absolutely have to keep moving forward as though they are on your heels. Marcus Rossman, pleasure to meet you and thanks for joining us, and you do sound fine. The connection is good. And now let's welcome Gary Nelson at SAP, and Gary has sent us a quote from Tom Peters. We haven't had a Tom Peters quote in a while. Tom Peters was born in 1942, still around, an American writer on business management practices, best known for his book, In Search of Excellence, which he co-authored with Robert H. Waterman, Jr. There's a trivia question for for, uh, for Jeopardy, if anybody watches that on TV. Um, in 1995, the New York Times referred to Tom Peters as one of the top three business gurus in the highest demand as a speaker, along with Daniel Burris and Roger Blackwell. Very, very interesting. So let's get to the quote. This is a long one, but it's important. Listen up, everyone. Life is pretty simple. You do some stuff. 
most fails, some works. You do more of what works. If it works big, others quickly copy it. Then you do something else. The trick is the doing something else. Great quote. Gary Nelson, Happy New Year. Have you been? Happy New Year, Bonnie. I've been great. I hope uh, the same is true for you. Thank you very much. I love the quote. It's it's almost like a little comedy routine. It's just, you can see Tom Peters sitting down at the table and say, Gary, let me tell you what life is all about. Is that the way it comes across to you? It's really, really simple and, and elegant in a way. Talk to me about how you picked that for our topic, Gary. Well, well, I do agree that it's um, it's a little light and entertaining. I, I, you know, Mr. Peters also gave us the quote that if you're not confused, you're not paying attention. So I, I do like his uh, the way he thinks about things. He keeps it a little bit light. But back to the initial quote, you know, I find the do something else part of the quote very appropriate for our topic today, because manufacturing is all about continuous uh, innovation to create continuous mm-hmm. improvement and. Uh, this is one of the important principles for the future of manufacturing overall, as well as the topics today, because many processes are connected. And uh, beyond manufacturing automation and, and the topics today, you know, actually the advanced optimized business processes are where, where people are going because it crosses multiple disciplines. And that's going to come up, uh, come up today. And so while I agree with Dr. Simon's quote uh, in 1965, and I find mm-hmm. it very prophetic, I think I would yes. uh, alter it a bit if I were to try to give a 20-year prediction for 2017. Instead of saying machines will be capable of doing any work a man can do, I think I'd say machines are capable of doing any work a team of people can do um, because another uh, the connectivity that we're going to talk about today. And another characteristic of today's do-something-else is, is the speed. So while historically mm-hmm. there have been uh, you know, many incremental advancements in manufacturing and technology, the difference today is the time between the increments. It's it's much shorter. Very well put. Very. I think we need to have some Gary Nelson quotables on this one as well. I like that a lot. Thank you, Gary. And you you were on Thanks, what Bob. last year with me on a different game changer series, right? That's correct. Late late last year. Yeah, well, happy to have you back as well. Uh, we're going to do our little roundtable segment now, not the roundtable discussion, but we're going to do the segment called What's in Your Cup Today? I'm going to start with Jeff Hoylo, then we're going to go to Marcus Rossman, and then Gary Nelson. First of all, I'd like to know where you're calling from. Don't You don't have to give me the Google, ma- Google map coordinates of your house or your office, but what city, what's the weather doing, because that's such a hot topic today, and what are you drinking either right now, or what did you have over the holidays that really made you smile. So Jeff Hoyler, you've done this before, so talk to us. Where you are, what's the weather, and what's in the cup? Sure. Uh, well, today uh, I am in uh, our IDC's corporate headquarters in lovely Framingham, Massachusetts, which is about 20 miles west of Boston. Uh, you know, the weather today, it, it actually feels like, almost like, well, I, dare I say spring is, is trying to reach in, so I think it's going to be upper 40s, maybe low low 50s today. Uh, it, it feels it feels like spring is coming, but I think I'm being optimistic. It's only January, right? So um, right. in terms of what's in my cup, um, there's a great little coffee shop. Actually, there, there are a few of them in the Boston area called Red Barn Coffee. Uh, any listener that's from the area may be familiar. Um, but uh, what I'm drinking is a large French roast Red Eye from Red Barn Coffee. So Red Eye being a little extra shot of espresso for for some uh, some extra kick today. So just kind of one of those days I felt the need for a little little extra jolt, and uh, it's quite good actually. 
Absolutely. And I looked up Red Barn Coffee Roasters there in, uh, let's see, 20 Turnpike Road. We're not advertising kids. Southboro, Mass. And there's one on Walker Street in Westboro, Mass. And there's one on Walker Drive in Upton, Mass. That's the one you're talking about, right? Uh, yeah, Barn? actually, uh, right. So uh, so I, I live uh, not too far from here in Southboro. So it's, uh, it's, it's the, the location there. Very nice. They are locally owned and locally roasted. We like that. The world in a cup, I think so. that's what they called herself. Very charming. Thank you, Jeff. Marcus Rossman, you're calling from, or we're calling you from somewhere, I believe, in Germany. Tell us where you are. What's going on, time of day, weather, and what are you drinking, or what do you love to drink? Yeah, so we are speaking here um, from, from the Stuttgart office, actually, um, from the Cap Gemini 1, um, which is in the southern part of Germany, um, looking at the time zone difference. So we have um, here the afternoon. So something uh, about um, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And, um, yeah, looking outside, we have quite some snow, and it's icy. So we have a um, couple of degrees um, below freezing point, so um, good idea to wear a hat and some, some warm clothes when you go outside. That is really, really necessary these days, a little bit of wind, but um, that's, that's working well. Um, for looking into my cup, actually, uh, for sure, the afternoon hour, um, it's a good habit to have some some nice coffee out there, sort of this engineering kind of um, coffee, like a little bit of milk inside, and um, sim- simple coffee, uh, home brewing kind of thing. Um, but that is not really the famous <laughs> favorite one. But um, next, right next to that, um, what I'm looking at here is um, uh, masala tea, actually, that my um, Indian mm. colleagues um, fetched me and brought them with, with them um, over to me for a workshop here that we had just recently. And I'm really looking forward to having that um, tonight. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. Pretty spicy, yes. I think, um, and, and refreshing yeah. in that case. Yep, masala chai Indian spice tea. I'm looking at some recipes here on food.com. Is that the one? I, You know, I'm fast on the look up here, kids. Nothing is safe with me. Marcus, thank you. And snowing there. My goodness. Well, we're we're doing rain here, the rain dance here on Long Island, New York. I'm just outside the, the perimeter of New York City in Nassau County, and it's raining again. But we did have sunshine yesterday for a couple of hours. Woohoo! And only two decent snowstorms since, I'd say, since December, and it's almost February. So we're doing pretty well on the winter weather here. Thank you, Marcus. Pleasure to speak with you. And now let's talk to Gary Nelson. Where art thou, Gary Nelson, and what are you drinking? Well, I'm in Chicago, and I'd say the weather report for the history of the winter is uh, is accurate with yours. I mean, or, or aligns with yours. Hasn't been too terrible, but today it's overcast and it's it's trying to snow. Yeah. Um, and what's in my, and what's in my cup this morning is my tie. Um, I, I forgot to put a tie clasp on this morning, and when I sat down, my tie went straight into my, my cup. <laughs> but, but hold on. Hold. You know what? You know what they say to comedians, Gary? Never step on the laugh. If somebody in the audience is laughing, don't step on the laugh. Jeff and Marcus, you can all laugh with me. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good one. Okay, so Mr. Mai Tai, what are you really drinking with the well, tie is joining it? <laughs> well, thank you. But actually, later today, I'm going to have an ori- original recipe Schlitz beer, because I think this. Uh, it, I was reminded of this with a top for the topic today, um, because from lessons learned, not all manufacturing advances are good ones. Uh, in the late '60s and early '70s, Schlitz was a very, very big beer in North America, and Chicago oh, was probably yeah. the number one beer. And uh, you know, there was a, a battle going on with Budweiser coming into various markets, so. Schlitz was uh, forced to 
increase their output and distribution channels, and they had two options. They could either build capacity, put in the new plants and add capacity, mm-hmm. or they could come up with a with the new process of chemical aging and, and increase the throughput of the existing capacity. Age it faster, get it out faster, and, and make mm-hmm. more. Unfortunately for them, they chose the, the latter, and uh, the beer taste changed dramatically. My father was a Schlitz man when I was a kid, and he mm-hmm. dropped it instantly and went to Bud, and so did most of Chicago. <laughs> and it knocked them basically out of the market and almost off the map entirely in North America. And uh, they're making a little bit of a comeback as a boutique brewery with the original recipe Schlitz, but uh, they made a fatal business error. Wow. I looked it up. I remember that. Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company, S-C-H-L-I-T-Z. Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company was an American brewery based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, once the largest producer of beer in the U.S. Schlitz was known as the beer that made Milwaukee famous. Remember that line, Gary? Yep. I sure do. And the slogan was, when you're out of Schlitz, you're out of beer. Remember that? I shouldn't admit to that. They became the first, the largest beer producer in the U.S. in 1902 and enjoyed that status during the first half of the 20th century, exchanging the title with Anheuser-Busch multiple times in the 50s. It was founded by August Krug in 1849, acquired by Schlitz in 1858, Joseph Schlitz, bought by Stroh in 1982, sold along with Stroh's assets to Pabst. Do you remember Pabst Beer? in 1999, and Pabst now produces the recently relaunched Schlitz Gusto Beer in Old Milwaukee. What do you think of that? Gary, thanks for the memories. Very, very interesting. Well, guess what, guys? I am uh, drinking something a lot of people would say it's boring, but I find it refreshing. Gary may remember, and I know Jeff remembers. Marcus is new to the show. I'm drinking a cool, clear mug of cool, clear water to keep my whistle wet. They don't let me have caffeinated beverages on radio show days. And this is a banner day for Game Changers because not only are we here right now debuting the future of manufacturing with Game Changers, at 2 p.m. this afternoon, I'm going to be debuting another series, Utilities, Game Changing Utilities of the Future. And that's going to be, that's sponsored by uh, James McClellan at SAP. And we're having Jill Feblowitz from Feblowitz Energy Consulting as our second speaker. So today is a banner day. Two new series are debuting. I'm so happy to have the three of you here with me for this one. I want to do a shout out to Michael, our engineer, who's just put up a uh, an emoji of beer. <laughs> I think I think he's drinking along with us. I, he's way too young to remember Schlitz or Paps or anything, Gary, but I think when he's off duty, he's going to be drinking a beer today. Our topic today is very interesting. We've already thrown around a couple of interesting words, inertia and innovation and paranoia and keeping on moving and looking at manufacturing and looking at IMNC, which is in industrial machinery and components sector, you've got to be on that leading edge if you're going to survive. We're talking about manufacturers. Here's a heads up. Here's a red alert. It's time for 3D printing and AI and digital twins and hyper automation. We're going to get into much more detail, take a deep dive with Jeff Hoylo, Marcus Rossman, and Gary Ross, Gary Nelson when we come back right after the break. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thrilled to have you all here. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. Michael out.
The manufacturing world is moving faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly industry leaders address new trends, overcome new challenges, and take advantage of new technologies. The aerospace, chemicals, high-tech, and industrial sectors are at the forefront of transforming manufacturing operations to truly change the game. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how innovations are driving new challenges and trends across various manufacturing sectors. The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're listening to The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to The Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers. Indeed, and here we are on a debut show for this series with Jeff Hoylo and Marcus Rossman and Gary Nelson. We already introduced them. We're talking about what's going on in the world of manufacturing, specifically IM&C. New innovations coming down the pike, or they should probably already be here. Only the paranoid will survive. If you're paranoid, you know about this stuff already. 3D printing, AI, digital twins, and hyper-automation. Let's start looking at these in more detail. We're going to start the roundtable in earnest, as my mother likes to say, with Jeff Hoylo at IDC Manufacturing Insights. Jeff is going to talk a little bit about, he says, digital twins, what's different? And I'm just going to read a little bit from his notes, and then he'll expand. He says, the level of content, who will consume it, and the internal and external business models that are enabled. Jeff, let's level set digital twins who's who's looked like whom is this a fraternal twins is this identical twins what are we talking about yeah what well, for those who've been around uh you know uh simulation technologies and cad technologies uh and even you know applying virtualization to manufacturing processes uh as well as looking at um you know point cloud images of manufacturing plants um those are all technologies that have been uh, that have been around. 3D virtualization is not necessarily new. The, the difference with, with digital twins uh, is the flexible level of content one can apply to the virtual model of a product, uh, a building, or an entire manufacturing plan, as well as the ability that exists to analyze and, and share these rich models with the global team within and outside of, of engineering. Now, I think the reason that, that you know, this level of content that you can, that manufacturers can layer in a, a digital twin as possible uh, due to, as I mentioned earlier, third platform technology, which is you know, cloud um, mobility, uh, big data analytics, and social business. So the, the ability to capture uh, data from uh, IoT, uh, from all the sensors that exist out there, as well as to work in a more platform approach across the business means mm-hmm. that you can have a lot of information constantly flowing into digital models uh, that enable great collaboration. Those, those third platform technologies, uh, actually, according to our research, are growing at um, between 11 and 13 percent uh, compound growth over the next, next few years. And that contrasts with, quote, traditional uh, software that is growing kind of you know, flat to 3 to 4 percent, uh, depending on which, which software you're talking about. Um, uh, you know, the, the potential result of the investment in these platform technologies uh, and democratization of modeling is better collaboration, I think, improved quality, uh, faster development, and faster time to market. 
Um, I think probably the question is, so where can I buy a digital twin? Uh, so mm-hmm. you, you can't exactly buy a, quote, digital twin out there, but there are uh, tech, uh, tech, uh, technical investments that you can make beyond CAD and CAE or simulation technologies that, uh, that you should make to get closer to one. The foundational technologies are CAE or simulation. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of uh, interest around leveraging visualization uh, technologies to communicate information across uh, the organization. So I, I look at that as kind of a, a first step digital twin. If you just want a lightweight model of a product, for example, that you want to share engineering to manufacturing engineering with manufacturing work instructions to say, this is how I want this, this product or this machine uh, built. Um, I think an interesting you know, discussion point uh, maybe for the future is how, how far into an organization can the digital twin go? Is this just um, an enabler on an innovation platform between engineering and manufacturing, or can it go into the business as well? I contested it. I think it can also go into the business, and, and uh, you can begin to layer in uh, costing information, uh, supplier information that you might be working with on a particular product. So you know, looking at different options you could bring to bear for from a material standpoint or a supplier standpoint. Um, there, there's, there are a number of ways that you could expand having a digital the last point I make is, you know, I think, uh, you know, fixed assets, uh, you, you know, uh, so are, are really, I think, where the short-term opportunity is. So when I think of digital twin, and maybe people have this image of, so every single product that's out there is going to be a, a copy of it, and there'll be this mm-hmm. fancy mission control, like a NASA mission control, looking at that product. I think that's necessarily the case. I think from a fixed asset standpoint, Yes, I think that's probably the, pro- the approach with a manufacturing plant or an oil rig or, you know, any sort of, you know, uh, utility plant out there um, where you actually are, are tracking the performance and quality issues and process issues that might be in place. From a product standpoint, I think it's, it's getting into, well, how do we begin to look at all of the, let's say, you know, cars, all of the different uh, cars within a particular line or model uh, that are out in the field, and, and let's look at the different quality issues or failure modes that are happening or warranty issues that are happening and begin to feed that information back to an OEM so they can begin to build that information into a model, right, a single model of, you know, of the information they're, they're capturing from, uh, from customers using those particular products in the field and say, you know what, we, we have an issue here. We have, uh, you know, we definitely have a software bug going on. We need an update or... Uh, whatever the the issue is, so um, there are really two Thank two levels I think uh, where we could go here. Thank you very much, Jeff. Good introduction, Marcus. I want you to come in and talk about digital twins. Yes, Bonnie? Yeah. This is this yeah. is Gary. I had just a quick question for for Jeff. Sure, that's okay. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I'm seeing, Jeff, um, is an is an interest from the the customers of these OEMs in in obtaining some of the digital twin information industrial internet of things kind of uh, so that if a if a customer if an oil uh, an oil field company has you know pumps and compressors and christmas trees from various manufacturers to be able to go to one place to to gather all the information for maintenance and performance and so on are you seeing any uh, any rise in that that type of use for the digital twin uh yeah and i think that information i, I agree with you and i think that information uh with uh, surfaced or needs to be serviced in, in a cloud-based environment. We've seen a lot of interest around uh, manufacturers saying, uh, you know, I need to be able to track the quality and, uh, and maintenance and 
service plans that I have for my machines or for my assets uh, and, and where's the, the, the most effective way to manage that. And this is actually where people are beginning to look to, uh, to a cloud-based approach to manage that data so that, you know, although the, the OEM may be responsible for the ongoing servicing and management of uh, a machine or uh, whatever the asset is, um, you know, the, uh, you know the, the, the company actually also has access to it in a cloud-based environment as, uh, yeah. for, you know, basic updating and maintenance over time. So, mm-hmm. so okay. yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I'm seeing that as well. Thanks, Jim. Thank you both. I want to give Marcus Rossman yeah. a chance to talk yeah. about digital <laughs> twins. Go ahead, go ahead, Marcus. It's your turn, my dear. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm think, thinking in the, into the same direction. Uh, on the, some some questions that raise up immediately when you are speaking with clients, and and um, the thing is about the digital twin. Yeah, as you said, um, it's it's um, starting at the very beginning. Yes, yeah? so we are not doing any kind of um, manual kind of sketching of of drafts, drafting some products or whatever. Yeah, products in the sense of of the end consumer products as well as the assets. Yeah. So we need we are distinguishing there between the products and the assets on the other side, yeah? and it's anyway done in in a, in a digital model. Yeah, so that is that is is existent at the beginning. The, the, the challenges start afterwards, as soon as you are coming out of the engineering department and um, going into the supplier space or um, even to the client, yeah, where you are um, in the time of use of a product or an asset or whatever. Uh, and there you need to have this kind of um, interoperability um, being able to be supported, yeah? supported by, by cloud environment, yeah, but, but um, basically based on standards um, or interoperability kind of model descriptions. That is, that is one of the key elements there. So, so what, what we call it um, often is 3D continuity, yeah? enabling really collaboration um, across the boundaries of um, the client itself. So, um, with with our customers yeah, on the one hand side as well as um, so internal yeah, as well as also outside yeah, with the supplier base um, or the, the partner base that is really important to be be able to do so and um, one thing that that we need to take a look at also is and that is um, a hinderer not yet um, to the degree but it will become um, is is really the cybersecurity or IP kind of question. Yeah, where you where we need to understand, okay, where are the where does the model end, um, until which kind of boundary does it go? Yeah, in order to to protect on IP, yeah, because that is um, the the major driving force and the asset um, these days and and forthcoming. Yeah, so that is one thing that needs to be um, really looked at for sure. Um, the benefits are there, yeah, like quality, higher quality, like um, being able to visualize, to integrate assets as well as the products. It's, it's a given. Yeah, you can't produce these days um, with with highly sophisticated products, in especially this industry for zero kind of approach, um, without having a digital model or a digital twin of both the product as as well as the asset. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's a necessity. Uh, but it will increase um, both um, the ability to produce smaller lots on the one hand side, mm-hmm. as well as also increase um, the quality over the course of time yeah, of the product that, which is produced and going out to the customer into the field. 
Thank you, Marcus. Uh, I'm going to move on to another topic. I think we've had a lot about digital twins, very, very interesting information. And Jeff, thanks for, for all that conversation. So what I want to do is move on to one from Marcus's list of topics he sent me before the show. And I think there's a very, very provocative uh, statement in here, Marcus. You say, we have a collaboration problem in manufacturing between engineering and manufacturing, between manufacturers and end users. And you say it's as much about mindset and philosophy as about technology and data. Are those fighting words, Dr. Rossman? You want to tell us what you mean? Yeah, for, for, for sure. It, it also directly ties back into the opening statements, mm-hmm. right, with the paranoia and, and being, yes. being um, able to change the, your habits and, and inertia in the sense of, of being able to co- collaborate. Yeah, um, it's, it's about the mindset, the technology in many cases you can agree upon. That, that, um, that's possible and, and we can do this. However, looking into this um, uh, mass customization and really um, being able to, to understand that, that um, you are becoming the, the client of actually the customer needs, yeah, so um, it, it totally turns around the thought process, yeah, like not providing simple products to, to, the, to the market and then afterwards it's, uh, you are done and you are just producing them. But you need to watch closely what your clients are demanding. So we call it then customer of customer needs. And that, is, um, that really requires this collaboration between, on the one hand side, the engineering parts, so developing really the products on the one hand side, listening carefully to the manufacturing arm also, because mm-hmm. otherwise it will not work that way and not fast enough concerning time to market. And then you need to even go beyond, in a sense, of, of going into the after-sales, so the services domain. That is really important. And, and um, it's a mindset. Yeah? It, it needs to change in the mindset. If, as soon as you go for client first, yeah, that is, that is um, the major driving force yeah, for the mass customization and um, understanding how to, how to design products and how to make them um, the, bring the best value to the client that is a, the, um, the change that needs to, to be done. Yeah, so you're building to order for sure. Yeah, you are afterwards um, not producing masses of, of products. And one thing that, that I just um, had a discussion on just, just lately yeah, is, is a very good case, yeah, like from, from the production standpoint. Yeah, if you are looking into one example from the aerospace industry yeah, where we have some, some clients over there, and um, being able really to, to use, um, again, from the, what we discussed before, from the digital twin perspective, yeah, to, to be able to understand, hey, which product am I going to produce as a digital worker in, in, the, fabric, um, in, in the fab, in the plant? Uh, it, it's, we are able to do this um, today, like uh, doing projections or whatever, um, and, and putting work instructions, directly tying this to the, to the part uh, that is produced. That is possible, yeah, and, um, and, and for the next part, it looks totally different, yeah, so you screw the screw somewhere else, and you have this lot size one um, already um, achieved, yeah, but that is, this, that is, again, this kind of mindset that needs to be changed inside um, those people who are working there, and in many cases, it works already, but it requires really um, this kind of putting everything onto the table and rethinking how to do the work. Thank you, Mark. It's very interesting. Can Gary Nelson, there, I'd, love to, I'd love to get Gary jump in. I want to go around the table. Gary Nelson, thoughts? 
Sure. Well, first of all, I want to say that I'm very happy to be on here with Jeff and Marcus because I'm, uh, I haven't met, but I work often with uh, Capgemini and I'm a, I'm a, a pretty loyal follower of uh, IDC. So, um, you know, I appreciate that I'm on here with them. And uh, so Glad. I, I think that some of the things that we're discussing are interrelated to the overall topics with the digital twin. And also, you know, I like to look at that with the with the hyper-automation or hyper-connectivity, if you will, um, aspects of this, because what we're talking about and some of the things that Marcus mentioned, you know, aligning all of these different groups inside of the, um, the company to, to collaborate and coordinate um, really gives great enhancement to the, uh, the process. I also think, it, and Jeff mentioned sharing in and outside of the manufacturing team, some of the data and you know, I, I think that a lot of this information, customers are, are looking to how to monetize it. And I think that sharing and customer collaboration with a lot of this information is, is how they're going to do that. Be able to offer their customers some of the information done through the digital twin, the performance um, aspects of it, monitoring and so on. Now, of course, when we talk about all that, you know, we have to, we have to consider, you know, a very comprehensive industrial security system, you know, for it, mm-hmm. because nobody wants to put their intellectual property out on the cloud to um, have others, you know, get to it. But it's a, it's a massive uh, improvement for the, their customers. And in industrial machinery and components, that's the key. They're, they're, they compete on customer intimacy and, and product leadership more so than just uh, pure cost. So these are the offerings that uh, the customers are, 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 my customers are looking to um, offer mm-hmm. machinery sales might be down, but service sales are up. Those kinds of things, and uh, the digital twin and hyper connectivity, hyper automation are, are keys to that. Thank you, Jeff Hoylo. Talk yeah. to us. Well, um, you know, if you think about just to build on what Gary was saying, the you know the food and beverage industry, for example, um, that uh, you know works off pretty low margins. Um, or I guess you could say, call the CPG industry. I have the same conversation. And so manufacturing efficiency, um, OEE metrics, um, yeah, flexibility, being able to change uh, manufacturing lines quickly, uh, being able to uh, fix an issue on a machine is uh, of critical importance, right? And so that's where uh, monitoring comes in and the ability to take take action comes in quickly. So, you know, the, the, the OEMs of... You know, the machinery that's sold to food and beverage companies, um, you know, sees this opportunity, obviously, and, and frankly, they need to make more money over time, and services is the way to do that, and they have a, uh, a willing customer and, and ready customer in uh, many of the industries they, they sell to uh, that need to be more efficient, that need uh, to maintain enough time, uh, that, that need to have the flexibility in their manufacturing lines to produce the products they need to meet customer demand. And so, uh, so this is why... There's there's a, a lot of work being done between OEMs between their customers, you know, to jointly manage and optimize uh, manufacturing over time, and uh, just have a have a more flexible approach to meet the, you know, the the hyper demand that Marcus talked about that's that's out there. The massively co- complex products that we get into discrete industries as well, uh, they're changing all the time. Need to be updated constantly with software and, and mechatronic connections. So. Um, that that all begs for the need uh, to to monitor, to leverage IoT, to leverage cognitive analytics in the future, right? Where machines may 
self-heal or at least self, you know, so you make mm-hmm. suggestions to manufacturers to say, hey, I think there's an issue with this particular line or machine. You should take action, right, and, and be more proactive before there's, there's an actual real issue. Um, and, and I think, you know, all of this goes back to the, the need for a connection between engineering and manufacturing, where if there is an issue that needs to be fixed with a machine or with an asset, you need to be able to kick off an engineering change quickly, you need to be able to update the digital model, regression tab, make sure it's going to work as designed, it's going to meet, meet the, the needs that are out there, uh, and then redeploy it, right? Maybe, maybe even virtually commission it and then redeploy it on, on the, uh, in the plant, right? So, so that's where the connection back into and the importance of uh, engineering and manufacturing working together come in. Thank you very and much, then, Marcus. That was a good jump off. Who's talking? Is that Marcus? Talk to oh, me. No, I'm sorry. This was Gary. I'm sorry. Gary, Bob. go ahead. Go ahead. A little latency here. But one other thing, Jeff, when okay. you mentioned, you know, the, the um, food and beverage packaging equipment, you know, if you've gone by uh, and seen any of the newer um, soft drink type of machines where you punch the buttons and mix your flavors and out it comes in a cup, um, these, some of these folks are also noticing this and noticing that trend and realizing that, hey, maybe we're not going to be uh, have as much demand for putting things in bottles as cans as we used to. So that's another reason why companies like that are looking for expanded service offerings. It's a, very much a changing industry. Thank you, Gary. You know what I want to do, gentlemen? I want to make sure we hit the, the high notes, if you will, of the four innovations I mentioned in the title of this episode. Uh, the Dave Parrish as the sponsor and the one who put this together wants us to cover. We've already talked in depth about digital twins. I want to make sure we hit 3D printing, give a little nod to AI if we need to, and hyper-automation. I'm not sure the audience knows exactly what hyper-automation is and, and how this all comes together. So uh, why don't I just have one of you raise your hands? Who wants to talk about hyper-automation. Let's start at the back end. So we cover that before we, we go to our predictions round in about four and a half minutes, five minutes. Uh, Jeff, Marcus, Gary, who wants to tell us what hyper-automation is? Well, I'll start it off anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with hyper-automation, I, I don't know if there's uh, something that would be a specific uh, definition of it. So I, I personally think of it as, as hyper-connectivity because uh, mm-hmm. the business issues, I think, come more from the number of machines being connected uh, more than the pure number of the automated machines, right? So it's not to me, it's not just hyper automation. It's it's the number of uh, co- uh, connections. So there's sensors everywhere, in, including in clothes now, <laughs> can monitor how fast you're walking with your t-shirt. But uh, intelligence machines are are connected to each other as well as to things like the Internet of Things. So to fully deliver, I think, on the potential benefits of of all this uh, connectivity and hyper automation. The industrial machinery companies have to be able to uh, ensure a reliable con- uh, connection. They need to store information in- when connectivity might be lost. So they need to have things like embedded database technologies to store it. They've got to be able to capture and store huge amounts of data. But beyond that, they have to be able to act on this data with intelligence, you know, like predictive analytics and predictive maintenance that we talked about. And and I think more and more of this data that's being generated by the hyper-automation and the hyper-connectivity, more and more of this data is emerging every week. So the uses of it are emerging every week. And, and for example, I see you know beyond the benefits to the customer and the obvious benefits to the OEM for some of these things in engineering and in manufacturing and in design, the OEM companies are even using some of this data for things like their sales force, right, when they're going out to compete with 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 their their competitors on it, they're coming up with very 
statistically significant KPIs on how their machines outperform others. So I think we're just starting to see the beginning of, of how this uh, hyper-automation and hyper-connectivity are impacting business processes. Thank you very much. Uh, let's let's cover, thanks, Gary. Let's cover uh, 3D printing. Uh, it's been around for a long, long time. Some people think it just fell off the back of the truck a couple of weeks ago, but it's been around a long, long time, very affordable even for home use. So, uh, Jeff, you want to talk a little bit about 3D printing? Is it still cutting edge? Is it still very important for manufacturers? Where's it going? Yeah, I think it's it's going to be important. This is this is uh, uh, Jeff. Um, you know, certainly, you know, speed of three D printing and materials uh, advancement or uh, or the slow advancement is still a barrier to acceleration. I think that'll be over over time, in the next few years. Uh, and I see it as being a complementary tool for small, large scale manufacturing. I don't think it's going to uh, replace uh, subtractive, classic subtractive manufacturing by any means, at least in the you know, in the near term, um, you know I have seen some some interesting you know research and advancement that's that's going on you know right now uh, in that uh, the uh, what's being discussed is things like the combination of 3D printing uh, and robotics, right? Uh, where you have 3D printing and autonomous cooperative robots, uh, pay, which which basically paves the way for for future additive manufacturing that's a little more agile, it's a little more mobile, and, and maybe a little more, little more resilient as, as well. So, so it's not just one stationary uh, 3D printer that, you know, we've all seen, right, the box that kind of produces something quickly, mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's, a, it's essentially a robot that's 3D printing working in concert with other robots, and that increases the speed of uh, manufacturing that you can achieve. Um, you know, I think this is... You know, where if you think of companies like Local Motors, right, which famously 3D printed um, a, uh, a car a couple of years ago, um, at IMTS, I think it was. Um, and, you know, it took, whatever, 39 hours or something to do that. But, you know, they, the, the, the proof case was just to say they could, they could do it. And obviously the, you know, the, the speed uh, limitations are, are real. And an approach such as robotic 3D printing will will enable companies like that to to actually achieve their goal of you know micro manufacturing, if you will, um, in meeting customer demand. You know their their whole model is crowdsourced designs. You know we can quickly you know we have a vertically in, we have vertical integration. Uh, we have all the materials and we 3D print your car wherever you are. Right. So their their vision is to have kind of a local um, you know local manufacturing micro manufacturing that enable this, right? So, uh, so I think there's a lot of work to be done on this front, um, but, uh, you know, really, really interesting and, and certainly a very complimentary tool to manufacturers in the future. Thank you very much. Yeah, and, Jeff, me, you know what? We're at the predictions. You know what, Marcus? Speak for a minute yeah. and then give me your predictions, 60 seconds predictions, what's going to change by the year 2020 for manufacturing. <laughs> so go ahead, Marcus. You'll start off the predictions, then we'll do Gary, and then we'll do Jeff. We've got about four minutes left to the show. Marcus, go ahead. Yeah. So, so 3D printing, I think we, it's a mature thing that is going to be there um, for the niche markets or the niche areas in, in a couple of years. So it's pretty stable already. And I think the world will not be changing dramatically in the sense of back to the future kind of Hollywood kind of scene. Yeah, but um, it will, it will um, continue to change. Data will be at the center of um, what um, our world will be looking like. And um, we'll be um, going there, and uh, I think AI will be catching up concerning driving this, and we are going to automate a lot of processes uh, um, concerning the hyper-automation, making sure that 
people are achieving much more than they, they can do today. Thank you very much, Marcus. That was your prediction. Everything rolled into one. Gary Nelson, I've got a minute for you. What do you see coming down the pike for manufacturers in terms of being paranoid, surviving, innovation, banishing the word inertia and status quo? What's going to happen by 2020 in this, in IMC, and all of manufacturing? Gary Nelson, predictions? I can give you ooh, 90 seconds. Go ahead. All right. Well, you know, the I, I think that uh, the idea is looking into how this is going to going to morph into something else as as, um, you've asked in the past and and, and it absolutely will you know you can tell from history that many of these advances start at you know local point solutions and then several techniques and technologies emerge in a specific area then they become connected or they merge together and into an integrated system so you know if we think about the early days of PLCs and CNC's placed on machines you know there used to be a group of people that maintain these programs and as the programs were needed, they became part of the job packet, and out they went to the machine. Now the machines are connected, and, and the programs arrive automatically. So, you know, the, the biggest value in any area is in the overall process, not in the process steps. And manufacturers know this, and they're aligning the process steps for better overall outcomes. So when we go back to some of the comments on robots being tied to 3D uh, mm-hmm. printing and, and advances in the materials that can be used in 3D printing and you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning, which we didn't spend a lot of time on today. All those things, I think, are going to merge into some some overall umbrella uh, advancements, and, and that's where we're going to find the most value in the next several years. Thank you, Gary Nelson and Jeff Oilo. I saved 90 seconds for you. That's all we got. Go ahead, Jeff. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, you know, so I think uh, integrated innovation and operations will become a much more uh, you know, the convergence of IT and OT systems, information technology and operational technology systems will become much more important and much more uh, prevalent uh, if companies want to um, want to achieve smart manufacturing or industrial IoT initiatives, depending on uh, which what you call those initiatives. I think. You know, I, was, I just got back from CES in Las Vegas a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of discussion about the AI car, right? So no longer the connected car or the connected vehicle, but the AI car, right? And so I think increasingly we'll see, to Marcus's uh, AI become embedded into products where, where products become self-healing and self-suggesting to manufacturers on how to improve the service or quality or in future innovation. I think digital twins uh, of connected products where AI products, machines, and plants will become much more prevalent and used, not just between engineering and manufacturing, but the business. And finally, I think uh, AR, augmented reality, and virtual reality, didn't really talk much about that, will become a much more common tool, a uh, complementary tool for service, plant, and product innovation over time. Uh, the interesting opportunity, I think, is you, know, you see AR and service and VR in early stage design. I think flipping those will become more common, right, where you see AR, uh, applied to design and manufacturing process modeling, and you see VR applied to service, where you're modeling service scenarios, where you're modeling manufacturing scenarios, even training for uh, manufacturing plant workers. Thank you very much to all of you. What a lively conversation. I learned a lot. I hope our listeners did. I have a special thanks to the three of you for being on the debut of our brand new series, The Future of Manufacturing, with Game Changers, uh, Jeff Hoylow 
at IDC, Marcus Rossman at Capgemini, Gary Nelson at SAP. Great conversation. I love the energy and the collaboration. Manufacturing may have a collaboration problem, Marcus, but we certainly didn't on the show today. Good back and forth. We learned a lot. So I want to also do a shout out, as I said, to the sponsors of this new series, David Parrish, Stefan Gritzkin, and Thomas Pull at SAP. Huge shout out to Lori Jaeger, or Jaeger, if she pronounces it that way, at SAP for getting this panel together, getting all their deliverables to me, and really being the glue that, that get this episode, got this episode on the road and running. So Lori, I know you're busy with something else, but we really appreciate you and Michael and the Business Channel team. I do my always shout out to you. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We have a lot more coming up on this series. We'll be covering lots of aspects of manufacturing. So stick around. They'll be on the air every third Thursday here at 10 a.m. Eastern on the Business Channel. Here's my call to action. You know what it is. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Jeff Hoylo, just, just like Marcus L. Rossman, and just like Gary Nelson. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.